Hello and welcome to this bonus weekend episode of the Creaky Chair Film Podcast. In this episode, we are bringing you a short interview Bill, Sam and I recorded with the McManus brothers, Kevin and Matthew, about the latest film that they have written and directed, The Block Island Sound. This is a horror sci-fi film which we discussed and reviewed on the podcast in episode 9 a couple of weeks back. All three of us really rated the film highly. We were very impressed and it clearly demonstrates the McManuses as promising filmmaking talent to watch out for in the future. So we had a good time chatting to Kevin and Matthew about the film and we hope you enjoy the interview. The Block Island Sound is available to stream now on Netflix and we'll be back with a regular episode in on Wednesday 31st. So again, thanks very much for joining us, guys. Um, like we said, we all really, really enjoyed the film and uh, are really interested to kind of find out some more bits of information about you guys and about the making of the film. Um, so to kick us off, I just wanted to ask, um, how did you two guys meet? Don't worry. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, nice little joke to ease the tension. There. <laughs> yeah, well, we yeah, met. We- I met my mom's womb, you know, it was a cozy place. Uh, we really had to get to know each other and start working well then. And it's uh, been... Uh... You think we beat at each other's throats, but I think when you live in that compactive space, you really, you really grow a strong bond. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> that kind of leads me on to... So have you guys always worked as, as a duo? You've always kind of worked as a team. And like, what would you say are the kind of pros of that kind of relationship? Obviously, you've got a very close connection. I would say we've worked pretty much as a duo the whole time. We started making movies when we were like 11. And I'm pretty sure our first film, all the credits are like directed by Kevin McManus, <laughs> written by Kevin McManus, filmed by Kevin. So Kevin kind of took a lot of credit. I took a lot of credit. I had a big ego at 11 that I really had to, uh, I had to tone down over the years. But since then, we've really come together, which I appreciate. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's been great. Uh, we're Yeah, I feel super lucky to have... A writing partner and, and also just a twin I get along with. I, it's a heartbreaker when you run into identical twins who who don't get along and, and kind of hate each other. And I think there can be a competitive thing there, but we're lucky that we don't have that. And instead, you just have somebody to help you work out every problem and every, you know, the way we write scripts is, you know, one of us will write a scene and then send it to the other guy and the other guy will go through and rewrite it and find his little bumps. And all of a sudden you're getting a second draft with your first draft and, uh, I just feel wildly lucky that we get to do that. Yeah, it's been a pretty smooth process. It's been, yeah, it's such a it's such an advantage when you have the exact same sensibilities. So that's been super helpful. Oh, fantastic! Um, and kind of on that same I, same point, what were the first sort of films, or I suppose like what were the first kind of genres that you guys first kind of started bonding over? Like, what was the first films that you both were like, this is the kind of thing that we're like both really keen to do. What's funny, our first movie is called, when we were little, uh, it was called A Bloodthirsty Killer. And it was just every horror trope was just jammed <laughs> into this movie. And my sister actually stars in it, so that was kind of an exciting thing to finally do the Black Island sound of there. And we made a bunch of like Blair Witch knockoffs. I don't think we had seen the film yet, but we are like, oh, you can you can make a movie with just your camcorder. That that will be what, what, what we'll do with the genre. And uh, it was like a lot of just like us running around in the woods with tents and stuff. So uh, a lot of really bad horror movies. I, I can't, I don't even think we were really into horror movies when we started making those movies. Well, I don't think we were really allowed to watch many of them, right? Yeah, so, right. like, but you know, we, yeah, it was fun. We would do that and a lot of like, you know, uh, basically the, it was like comedy movies growing up that were funny because they were, because we knew we were terrible at them. So like. It made it easier saying, like, this is a comedy, okay? It's not a real horror film. We're going to try to make a horror film, but when we show it to our family, they're going to laugh at us. 
And that was on purpose. And that was, <laughs> you know, how we got around it, I think. Well, the, uh, I think the first movie that really like made a major impact on us, because we had been making movies for a while, uh, small ones, and then uh, we watched Reservoir Dogs and realized like, what the possibilities would be for indie film. The fact that you can make a movie like that was, was so mind-blowing. Uh, so we made a lot of really bad action movies, too, uh, in, in crime films, uh, back uh back when we first started out too so i feel like that was kind of our first like breakthrough uh indie film that really kind of changed the way we made movies yeah i think our best tarantino uh esque film that we did was called do i smell motherfuckers and it was really really <laughs> intense uh gritty i thought block out of town was a great title but that that that's even better that's even better on the t-shirt it's really we're working up to doing the the remake you know do i spell motherfuckers you know it's uh we're really sticking by no asterisks in there it's got to be the whole it's got to be the whole name uh it's gonna be hard to come out it's gonna come come out at some point surely yeah it's hard it's it's a hard sell it's a hard sell marketing's really difficult because the the film seems to be doing really well at the moment in terms of you know netflix top 10 charts and stuff around the world are you pleased with how the film's been received so far yeah shocked I, i can't believe how well it's doing i mean we we you know uh, it's, a, it's a, obviously it's a small film, uh, and and it came out during such a weird year, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, so many festivals got canceled or pushed or postponed, and so we were so stoked when Netflix picked it up. Uh, but it was one of those things where so many things go on Netflix. You, a lot of our movies have played in there at, at some point, uh, and sometimes you can kind of get you know buried alive on, on the algorithm. And I'm, I'm kind of blown away with how how much traction it's gotten. I mean, it's top ten. In a lot of different countries and it's been it's been pretty wild well that was pretty surreal too just seeing how well it was uh received in a bunch of other countries because you just never know i mean is this going to translate well is this going to work uh is anybody going to be able to connect with it so yeah that's it's wildly exciting i mean my, my you know my sister's in it my mom's in the in the movie and so like one of the first things we did on netflix was switch it to different languages and you know watch my mom speak fluent italian and then spanish and you know and she's thrilled at just the thought that like you know it, it hit like number four in like south korea and japan and like brazil and you know being able to say to my mom you're on screens in all of these other countries is just this really surreal moment that you know when your kids making movies and making your mother be in it you, you don't really think that this is where it's going to go but so that was i think i think one of the reasons it may have done so well is just because it's got the universal appeal of that some of the themes and fears it draws on is just something we all have i just asked wanted to ask where did the initial idea come from um and did you draw any influences from anywhere if any well one of the big things for us was uh just our love for block island when we were in college we made this zombie flick and had no money to make it and we're trying to figure out we needed an abandoned looking place and it finally occurred to one of us that block island over the winter nobody's there but you've got this great little town square and and so we show up to block island and we've got you know people on gas masks and smoke bombs and ak-47s and we're running down the street we're like first of all it's like the most exciting (laughs) adventure but then as we spent you know a couple nights there we just fell in love with over the winter. This place is a totally different spot because over the summer it's fun and it's a party town and uh, beautiful. But over the winter, you just feel like you're walking through some Stephen King setting, you know. And it's it's cold and it's spooky and everything's rattling and uh, the cliffs are so stark. There's just such a beauty there, and I, I think we just realized like we really wanted to do this place justice and be able to go back and, and really 
get to live there for a while. So I think that was one of the big inspirations for the film. And on the character side, it was so uh, kind of born from seeing what happens to families when the matriarch or the patriarch dies. Uh, you know, for us, there was a, uh, a lot of tension in, in, in the, 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 the next generation's family when my grandparents died. Uh, and it became a real thing where you see a lot of tension that forms and, and just uh, having to come together without that glue is so difficult. So that was a real uh, place we were drawing from uh, with the idea of once, you know, Neville Archambault's character, Tom, once he dies, what does that do to the family? And you see all of them are in all these different places. They all have a different belief for how they think things should be going. Uh, and that causes just a lot of tension and, and kind of built-in conflict. Oh, amazing. Um, so speaking of the characters, um, I, I really enjoyed the character of Dale, played by Jim Cummings. And um, yeah. obviously at the start of the film, you're kind of, along with Harry, kind of thinking like, who's this crazy conspiracy guy spouting this absolute nonsense? But as the film goes on, you start to kind of go, Oh, maybe maybe he's onto something here. Maybe there's something going on. Like, and I figured, like, given given the kind of rise of that sort of conspiracy theory world, QAnon and so forth, was that kind of character development something that you were kind of trying to reflect on the current situation in terms of that kind of idea? You know, it's funny. Like, it's such a such a character trope of the genre too, where you've got the the one guy who's seemingly crazy who actually knows all the crazy conspiracy theories and stuff. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I love that character. Whenever I see that character pop up in a movie, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, give me this guy. I want to I want to hear about all the weird <laughs> shit that's going on in this town. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, it it was kind of born from that. And when we were first writing it, and then through the years, these conspiracy theorists. It used to be, you know, like oh oh yeah, I met one guy. He was nuts, and he believed this and that. And now, I mean, it's every other person you run into. It's yeah. kind of kind of terrifying and so it's a weird thing where that character was you know the inception of the character uh, you know has shifted along with uh, just just the rise of conspiracy theories and it is it is kind of startling watching the movie now and going yeah this i've met this person a few times and and they totally it's not this like caricature anymore it's actually just a real point of view that people have. Yeah, it doesn't bump anyone that it, that it's like kind of over the top and unreal. And that's like, oh yeah, no yeah, it's, it's my uncle. Or that's my friend. You know what I mean? It's it's so weird how my how normalized it's gotten. Yeah, it's actually one of us as well. We were just saying that in our in our discussion. We were like, I, I won't reveal it. But um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask um, practically. Um, Spielberg famously hated shooting on the water for Jaws. How did you find it? How did you find that experience? I don't. I don't I don't blame him for hating it. It's uh, we we shot it in the same uh, we shot in Nantucket Sound, uh, a lot of it uh, up on Cape Cod, and that's where they shot Jaws. So we were in a very like the same waters that they were shooting Jaws in, and we were fortunate enough that um, where we were shooting uh, was a, a dock with a with a, a big kind of big panoramic view of open water. So that made shooting a lot of it easier. Uh, because we didn't have to be out in open water the whole time, which was our initial plan, which was a bad plan. Uh, and thankfully, it was also overcast skies, so we could move the boat around so you could keep getting, you know, uh, open water as often as possible. But there is a lot of stuff where we actually had to go onto the open water to do it. And um, I'm not a, a, a boating person. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I've gone out in boats, but I, I don't really know the first thing about it. So I think we way underestimated uh, the difficulties that came along with it. Uh, I yeah. remember our, our boat captain at one point, he's like, like, when can we go out, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, if it's still, you know, we, we should be all right. And I'm looking out and I'm looking at like the most 
still day I've ever seen in my life, right? Like the, the calmest waters I've ever seen. Like, oh, so a day like today? He goes, oh, no, today's pretty rough. Uh, you wouldn't want to go out today. We're like, we're so, like, how, how often does it get more still than this? And he's like, oh, I don't know if I ever see it more still than this. And we're like, I don't know. We're just going to fucking try this thing out. So it was, uh, it was hectic and crazy. And I can't believe we got it done as quickly as we did. But. We also only had two days on the boat. And so our AD pretty much wanted to rip our heads off. He's like, you need two weeks. And like, how, like... <laughs> Before we found that pier, uh, we were shaking on our boots a little bit, but that that helped us a lot. Yeah, it saved us a ton. It sounds like life was sort of imitating art there, that you started going crazy on a boat and uh, and uh, being violent towards each other. I won't, I won't pry anymore. <laughs> For me, the, the film seemed to be sort of tapping quite cleverly into themes of mental health and the, the negative influence of personal environment. This is obviously something that people seem to be aware of and are talking a lot about these days what with the fears about climate change and especially with the pandemic and the fact that everyone's been forced to remain locked in one place one environment for large periods of time obviously you've been working on this pre-covid but was that something that the kind of the interplay between environment environmental factors and mental health was that something that you were consciously seeking to explore yeah i think so i mean and i think a lot of ways too just when it comes to the mental health of it all it just it, i think harry is a is, you know, you know, he's an amalgamation of a bunch of people you know, we know. And I think there is this real difficulty sometimes with admitting when something is wrong and wanting to hide it and want to deny it and pretend that you're okay. Uh, and I think, you know, Tom, his dad, is going through a similar similar feeling. And I think there is this sort of toxic masculine thing. Of, I can't show anybody how vulnerable I am or how scared I am. And to me, in a lot of ways, that's what this movie is really about. It's about this guy who can't open up and when he finally sits down and tells his sister that what's going on and how guilty he feels and how scared he is i think that's really his biggest moment because he's finally able to give up some control let down his guard and uh and really show what's how he really feels and and yeah i, I just see that in a lot of like different people in my life you know and it's just a it can be a real curse and so, and so i think in a lot of ways that that was a a feeling we wanted to be able to dive into. I think it did. It did it really, um, really well, whilst also having, as I said in my review, this this really cool sci-fi uh, explanation and, uh, and genre piece. Like, and I think it did the perfect balance between delivering a satisfying explanation and not revealing too much in order to, you know, let the audience draw their own conclusions. How difficult was it to find that balance between all these different different aspects you were bringing in? You know, it's funny because that, that twist originally was the seed of the idea. And I don't know that in the beginning it was really going to be a big twist. It was kind of like the first act turning point you were going to discover that. And then we're like, I'm not really sure where this goes. It wasn't super scary. And so the more we were kind of talking about it, the more we realized as a mystery, this is a lot more exciting. And getting a lot of these different pieces uh, that seem to not match up, but are just spooky moments. And then by the end, realizing, oh, all of them actually pointed us to this one, this one genre that is sort of obvious when you think about it, you know, and we all know the tropes of that genre. So when you get those pieces of tropes, but don't realize that it's that, and then it comes back together, it just felt like an exciting, uh, exciting thing to us. So, so yeah, you know, it was, it was a challenge, but in a lot of ways, that's the way good mysteries go, right? You just try to figure out, okay, what's the end and then work backwards from there and try to try to throw your audience off a little bit. So, uh, yeah. 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 I think that was basic strategy. And I think we all 
we all said, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure lots of different reviewers have said this as well, but the the, uh, you're, the actor you use, Neville Archambault, is that, is that his name? I mean, he's yeah. just absolutely fantastic, isn't he? I mean, he must have, when you yeah. found that guy, you must have thought, well, he's just got the perfect sort of character actor face. He's just perfect for what we want. I mean, yeah, was it that kind of he's feeling? Amazing. He's amazing. He, he, we, uh, so uh, we worked on another movie with him uh, called 13 Cameras, uh, and those auditions uh, were pretty wide ranging. It was kind of an open casting call. Anyone could come in. And uh, Neville came in for uh, an audition and he stayed in character. And in that movie, he plays this really creepy guy who sets up cameras all over uh, a rental property. Uh, so he's just like, you know, the world's worst landlord. And he uh, he comes in and he he stays in character the whole time. He's like, we're like, oh, can you slate for camera? Yeah, no, Rosh and We're like, uh, okay. And uh, you're gonna do the scenes. He does the whole scene. We're like, all right, that was wonderful. He's like, all right, and he just walks off. That was it. And we're like, that guy just like completely embodies it. He was so spooky. Uh, and we hired him. And I remember one of the other uh, producers saying, uh, are we sure this guy's not actually a crazy person? And we're like, we have we don't know. We have no idea of knowing. Uh, but we got to hire him in the first day he shows up on set he is like the friendliest loveliest guy he's so affable he's like a great conversationalist he's telling us about his whole history he, he lived in mexico for a long time he's like he's just a really fascinating guy and he's incredibly sweet and uh so we fell in love with with working with him on that one and then we, there's a sequel to that film that we got to work with him again and we kept in close touch so when we were writing the block down sound we're like we gotta write a role where you get to see two sides of Neville, where he, he obviously can turn on the scary. He's so great at it. it there's something internal inside of him that is just uh, this amazing ability to do that. Uh, but on the other hand, he's also such a lovely guy that we're like, we want to show this kind of grandfatherly, you know, uh, persona and then be able to have him transition into a much spookier character. So that was super fun getting to have him play both those roles and really just lean in. Yeah, it's it's funny. Our editor always jokes that Neville is our muse, and uh, I think that's actually probably true. I'm constantly writing stuff. I'm like, and a great role for Neville because once you find a guy like Neville, you just want to put him in everything. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm more than happy to see him in everything. He's got such a he's his face has been haunting my nightmares. Just his such a. <laughs> No, just a beautiful, beautiful character. But then also face. feeling I, sorry for him as well. That's just the thing, course, you know. Yeah. It's like I, do, I just remember his eyes, and it's just like this, this helpless character as well. And then, and then him screaming "dog" at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a. That's one of the really beautiful things about him too is that he has this vulnerability to him. Like he's, he just looks like he w could have been born in a different century where he would have been like a gladiator in a coliseum or something. But then when you see that close up and what's going on in his eyes, 13 cameras, he's got these moments where you really fall inside of him. And he's such a despicable character in that movie, but you're actually feeling like kind of worried for him at moments. And that, that's pure because he, he is this, you know, uh, this, this force on screen but also has this real empath empathy that, that pours out of him as well which it, it's just super exciting right. uh so yeah last question for us guys what's the next project that you're currently working on and when can we when do you think we'll be able to, to see the next thing from you that's a good question i think we're, we're circling like uh three features right now right uh that we're dying to do so there's like two out in the marketplace that we're trying to to find uh, a buyer for and then uh, another one that we're gearing up to do. So they're, I think all three of them are in the kind of horror sci-fi space. Uh, two more true horror and one more suspense thriller sci-fi. Uh, 
and I can't wait to do. I wish we could get more into the details of them, but it's all. Hopefully, hopefully someone pulls the trigger on one of these ones soon, so we can get back out. We'd love to just get back on set as soon as we can. That's yeah. exciting. And then thirteen yeah. cameras. Do you any ideas where we could uh, could watch that? Is that is that on it's, Amazon? Is it? It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think. Ooh, ooh, is it globally though? That's a good question. It definitely is Amazon Prime in the U.S. It should be iTunes everywhere. But I but I wouldn't be surprised if some. <clears throat> but it's on Prime in the U.K. as well. You guys can let us know. Uh, I'm totally <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, iTunes, so like the the VOD kind of things, those should be all available. And you think there might be a sort of theatrical run of Block Island once cinemas are back open? And I don't. I, I wish. I wish. Yeah, I don't think so. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it. It we did. Uh, we there was I think one theater in in England, right, Sheffield? Oh yeah, uh, that did a theatrical uh, for uh, a um, for a film festival. And then, uh, and then there's like a little drive-in cast and crew screen. It's the only two times it's been on the big screen, and it's uh, it's such a bummer because you make those things, of course, to see them on the big screen. But you know, I'll take uh, I'll take the Netflix release anytime. So. Yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, yeah, because it, it, it's so, it'd be so great at festivals, and you know, we're all hoping festivals are going to come back in a big way. But that's that for me is the perfect film where you'd come out and just be like, oh, I need to just tell everyone about it because because yeah, it's, it's yeah. great, it's great. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much, much, guys. Well, we've been saying, haven't we? You know, it's been a film that we're sort of like, oh, you've got to see this, you know, to our friends and stuff. You've got to see this. And then they come back and say, wow, actually, yeah, that was people going not expecting very much because you've not heard very much about it. And just everyone that we've spoken to so far has been really impressed. So. Oh, that's so nice that's to hear. So nice that's to hear that. great. Yeah, it's funny. We're, we're in a writer's room right now working with some people and they we're going to go check it out. And I'm like, oh, God, are they going to like it? And I don't, you know, you get so nervous. So it's always nice to hear when people go off, watch it, and then actually <laughs> <laughs> dig it. That's great to hear. It, it works out well for us because it makes us look cooler because we can recommend a cool film to people. You know, yeah, that we discovered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we can get good clap from our friends as well. So thank you guys for that. That's, you know. <laughs> it's the least we could do. It's the least we could do. <laughs>